Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Do you love women's history? Do you love wine? Do you love pride? Well, God, you're in the right place because we're going to talk about all three of those things today. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two longtime gal pals who fucking love each other share a bottle of wine and chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Emily. And I'm Kelly. And we're so happy to have you listening. And we're super excited because we're kicking off Pride Month. Woo-woo! Break out the rainbows, people, because shit's about to get proud. Yeah, it is. So if you haven't heard, all month we are going to be covering women that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. And we're super excited. And it was interesting because I had a woman that I've wanted to cover since the beginning. And I was saving her specifically for pride. And I was terrified Kelly was going to, like, take her from me. I was I was scared that moment she was going to be like, oh, I'm covering this lady. And I was going to be like, I love you, but now I have to but kill no. you. <laughs> <laughs> I will fight for this. It's going to be gross. But then Kelly told me who she was going to cover. And it turns out that our two herstory gals were like besties in yeah, real life. Great. We always joke about the women we cover being besties. And now we actually did cover best friends from herstory. Right. And I'm super excited. Yeah. So before we crack into who we're covering, we are going to talk about the wine we're drinking. Kelly, do you want to tell us about this sexy wine? I don't know if I'd call it sexy. It's, I mean, it's a red. I feel like reds are inherently sexy. So today we are drinking Matchbook from Dunnigan Hills. It's a 2015 Syrah. And I feel like it's appropriately titled. Because we are going to talk about lighting shit on fire and rebellion and rising up. Yeah, all that fun stuff. It's going to be super fun. I'm Um, excited. So according to the signage in the wine store, it says, Earthy aromas of leather, plum, and delivers flavors of black cherry, blueberry, dried fruit, and truffles on the palate. The age-worthy Syrah has great acidity and a flavorful and lingering finish. You know, I don't think I get any of that. When you're listing flavors of your wine, maybe don't start with leather. No, no that wasn't a flavor. That was an aroma. But still. I know it's... when I read that, I was like, did they just <laughs> say their wine smells like leather? It smells like an old shoe. Yeah, I mean, better. here's the thing. I... Uh, so we were drinking this earlier and one of Kelly's pugs like butt bumped me and I spilled the wine all over her couch. All over my couch. Luckily, my couch is like a dark blue. It's probably going to be okay. We addressed it very quickly. But then I tried to like start chugging it so there wasn't as much in my glass. This is not a chugging wine. No. Do Sir- not Syrahs chug this. Are, or at least this Syrah is, is very, very dry. It's not good for chugging. And like the label says, it's got an acidity to it. Like oh, yeah. this is you're sipping this with dinner. Right. It's it's good though. Yeah. I don't think we've done a Syrah yet. No, I don't think so. And this is actually I was reading the back and it's like a Syrah blend. It's composed of Syrah eighty three percent and Petite Syrah seventeen percent. I don't know what that means, but it sounds yeah. fancy. I know, right? <laughs> We're amateur wine queens. We like the wine, but we don't understand the wine. No. Wine doesn't need to be understood. It's just meant to be enjoyed. Yes, with good friends. So I think our cheers is pretty easy this week. I think we just need to cheers to the beginning of Pride Month. Heck yeah. Woo, cheers. Clink. 
I haven't been drinking as much because I'm not feeling the best. I did a bunch of gardening yesterday and I got myself super sunburned. And so now I'm like that like heat sick when you get sunburned and then mm-hmm. you're like sick the next day. So if I don't sound as wind up, that's why. I was going to say, I down my glass pretty quickly, although your pug knocked a quarter of it out of the glass. So that helped. I uh, I was at the dog park today and... um my dogs were being assholes because they were barking at dogs on the other side of the fence. I was trying to get them under control and I tripped over one of them and fell like flat on my face in front of all the other dog parents. So I need this wine tonight. (laughs) I am. (laughs) She's just chugging it. I am bruised and my pride is bruised. I'm just bruised, (laughs) but it's my own fault. All right. So Kelly, uh, you're getting us started today, right? Oh, actually, I know we had talked about something we were going to do. So something we've been doing is a say their name segment where we profile people who are doing awesome things for women's rights in in the here and now for the most part. Uh, But this month, what we are going to do is just talk a little bit about women who are part of the LGBTQ plus community that you may not have known about. And I have one right now who we have actually covered in the podcast, episode two, Medical Mavens and the First Seagull in Space, Sophia Giblake, who was a central figure of the Edinburgh Seven. She was a lesbian and I didn't know it. And maybe it's because my research was focused on the Edinburgh Seven and that event versus her. But after we had recorded the episode, I was searching her hashtag and I found all these like pride illustrations and i was like oh shit she was like she had a female partner for many years who was also super badass and so i basically posted kind of an apology on facebook and instagram where i was like i didn't mention this like lgbtq plus erasure is a real thing i would have mentioned it because representation is important but sophia jablake like fucking trailblazer we love you and we recognize you. Right. And another one actually that we've covered that I didn't know because it didn't I didn't uncover it in my research was from episode four. Uh, Josephine Baker was bisexual. Yes. And I didn't discover that until I was doing more of my pride research. And yeah, I feel bad that I left that out. But I'm like, literally nowhere mentioned it probably because she married a lot of men. But yeah, she was bi. She had women, female partners. But yeah, yeah, it's not talked about at all. Especially when it comes to bi people, bi erasure is a real problem. And so we try our best to do our research on the show. We don't get everything. And so this is us just Sophia Jablake, Josephine Baker. We see you. We love you. Yes. All right. So you're getting us started today, aren't you? Yeah, but now I'm like worried that I did the same lady as you. <laughs> like, No, we talked about I who know. you were doing. But I'm still like, crap, did did she, yeah, we'll just find out. If we did the same one, we did the same one. I, just say her name and I will shut you down so fast if it's the same person. Sylvia Rivera. Okay, it's okay, not good. the same person. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Um, okay, so Sylvia was born as Ray Rivera on July 2nd, 1951 in Bronx, New York. She lived most, most of her life either in or near New York City. And she was of Puerto Rican and Venezuelan descent. She was abandoned by her birth father, Jose Rivera, early in life and became an orphan after her mother committed suicide. Oh, and this God. Is, this is a quote from Sylvia. Quote, my mother was 22 when she decided to off herself. She was having a shaky second marriage. He threatened to kill her and me and my sister. I was three years old. End quote. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that's what she recounted from the incident. Three years old and her life sucks. Yeah. Sylvia was then adopted and raised by her Venezuelan grandmother, who voiced her disapproval not only of Rivera's mixed background that made her skin darker than she preferred, but also of her behavior, which was deemed too effeminate for a boy. Dumb. Yep. After Riviera's half-sister, Sonia, was taken away by her birth father, her grandmother resented her even more, and she often received beatings from her, particularly after Sylvia began to wear makeup in fourth grade. Oh, no. Sylvia was bullied at home and at school. She shaved her eyebrows and wore makeup to school beginning in the fourth grade and was mocked and called faggots by her classmates in sixth grade, leading leading her to abandon formal education. You know what's really sad? I And here's the thing. You are just getting started. And it's already really apparent yeah. how hard her life is. But I feel like you could have said this happened in 2019. And I would have been People like, yeah, I believe, believe it. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After years of switching between living with her... Living at her grandmother's house, living at a Catholic boarding school, and living with various family friends for long periods of time, 10-year-old Sylvia Rivera left home and began life as a sex worker, hustling near Times Square. On the streets, specifically 42nd Street in New York, she found an eclectic tribe of sex workers, street queens, as poor trans youth, um, some of them who performed sex work and some of them who were just homeless, then identified themselves, drag queens, and members of the gay community. She gave herself the name Sylvia Rivera in a ceremony attended by some 50 of her friends and peers. So she had, like, a naming ceremony. Yeah. She, like, found her tribe and was like, no, I'm, I'm starting over. I, Which is beautiful. I love that they made a really big deal about her kind of owning her identity and being like, no, this is who I am. Right. And I'm I telling so everyone. Beautiful. Like, that, yeah, that she's like, no, I'm, I, I am a she and this is my name. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you, Sylvia. So we're going to jump in time a little. And at the time, bars such as mafia-run gay bars, such as the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, were the only safe spaces where queer people could come together and form their own de facto community. Even though gay bars were not illegal at the time, spaces frequented by the community were still regularly raided. Patrons were subjected to police brutality, and drag queens and transgender folks were often arrested for the clothing they wore. It was, by all accounts, an arduous life. Rivera and her peers were regularly beaten up by the cops, Johns, and even each other. Rivera would eventually serve 90 days on Rikers Island, sent to a cell block kept for perpetrators of gay crimes. Yeah, because it used to be, I mean, here's the thing, there is still a lot of discrimination, but being gay or a part of the LGBTQ plus community was straight up criminalized. Right. And even though, like, like they said, even though gay bars weren't illegal, they still persecuted them strongly well and what it was is that bars that served gay people weren't allowed to have liquor licenses Mm. so if they were serving liquor to gay people then it was illegal but i'm sure a lot of them didn't get arrested because like like my notes said like a lot of them were mafia run Mm -hmm. so you know the cops probably aren't gonna fuck with that but they'll fuck with the patrons oh for sure exactly okay Sylvia's activism began during the civil rights movement and continued through the movement against the Vietnam War and second wave feminist movements. Sylvia didn't care about labels and definitions. Throughout her life, she referred to herself as a half-sister, a drag queen, or a transvestite. Her attitude on her fluid identity further strengthened her position as a radical activist in the mainstream gay movement. So she might even have been um, borderline gender fluid, but it sounds more like she was... um, trans 
Yeah. That shouldn't have taken me that long to like think <laughs> about it. It's the headache. But like my my gal has some of that too where uh, other people kind of were like, well, we refer to her today as transgender, but she might have been more like gender fluid or, yeah. you know, just non-gender conforming. Right. I like I like the referring to herself as a half sister. I like that too. I like that. One day, as Sylvia was hustling on 42nd Street, she spotted an older black queen, Marsha P. Johnson, <laughs> who she was immediately drawn to. Fearless in both her appearance and her approach to life, Sylvia marched right up to Johnson and struck up a conversation. Marsha ended up inviting Sylvia out for a spaghetti dinner and took her under her wing, teaching her how to apply her makeup and the rules of the street. The pair remained friends for the rest of their lives and participated in many of the most significant early gay liberation struggles together. If you haven't guessed it already, I'm covering Marsha P. Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sylvia has said that she was a regular patron at the Stonewall Inn and was present on June 28, 1969, um, when the Stonewall Inn was raided. Sylvia was 17 at the time. Riviera was there, supposedly with her close friend and fellow activist Marsha P. Johnson, and they capitalized on what they say was the ultimate opportunity for resistance. And it has been said Sylvia has thrown one of the first bottles at the police. One of the first. Maybe not the first. This whole event became known as the Stonewall Riots, which, if you don't know, that's kind of also what started gay pride parades or gay pride rallies um because the first one ever one was held a year after the stonewall riots yeah it was a moment that really sparked the modern day gay liberation movement yeah. like there people were fighting for gay rights before this but this is what really kicked everything into gear this is oh, yeah. kind of the watershed yep. moment uh so the stonewall riots are when gay met sorry hiccuped when gay men, lesbians, bisexual people, drag queens, street people, and trans people rose up against what started as a raid by the police. The incident resulted in a five days of rioting. Patrons of the bar, the greater gay community, homeless youth, African Americans, and Puerto Ricans protested and won. Woo! The protesters, the protests, sorry, contained hurled barricades, broken window, firebombs. Just one broken window? Yeah, that's all it says. Just one Just window. One. It was a really one. big window, yeah. though. <laughs> it was the whole... Oh, no, it does say windows. Sorry, forgot the S. <laughs> Firebombs, cries of... Ha cries, hashtag. <laughs> hashtag, no. fuck you! Cries of, quote, <laughs> occupy, take over, take over, end quote, fag power, and liberate the bar. In an interview with transgender activist Leslie Fenberg, Sylvia stated that she had... She had told her comrades as the riots began, I'm not missing a minute of this. It's the revolution. She emphasized the fact in other interviews, quote, we were we were the front lines. We didn't take no shit from nobody and we had nothing to lose, end quote. Yeah, when you're already being victimized right. by the police, you're at the bottom rung. I mean, you're engaging in like survival sex work. I mean, fuck, why not? Go for it. Fight for your rights. Sylvia also liked to re redress, redress those that th thought she threw the first Molotov cocktail at Stonewall. She liked to give interviews where, where she said, quote, I have been given the credit for throwing the first Molotov cocktail by many historians, but I always like to correct it. She said in 2001, I threw the second one. I did not throw the first. <laughs> I had it. And someone was just a little quicker yeah, than right? me. Like they released first. I was I in the throwing right motion. <laughs> Her presence at the Stonewall Inn has been wildly debated. And like I said, she has been cre credited with throwing the first brick, though she denies it. 
But regardless of the degree of her participation in the frenzy that took place at Stone the Stonewall in that night and the five preceding nights, uh, afterwards, Sylvia laid low for a few months for unknown reasons. Probably because of the riot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in my story, there is a lot of like historical discrepancy. And there was one note where it was like people might have lied about uh, Marsha's part in it because yep. she was such a vulnerable person being a trans woman of color. Oh, yeah. And same with uh, Sylvia. Yeah. She was also a trans woman of color. Absolutely. So after her months of laying low, her friend, Marsha P. Johnson, told her about meetings of the Gay Liberation Front, or GLF, and she jumped at the chance to become involved in the activity emerging in the aftermath of Stonewall. Despite Sylvia's enthusiasm to be involved in these newly formed groups, such as GLF or the Gay Activist Alliance, which would split from GLF later, from the beginning, her identities as a street worker, a drag queen, poor, and a Latina were troubling to the largely white middle-class activist groups. Mm-hmm. So that's really that I get more into that in a little bit. Um, and we still have those issues in modern day civil rights movements. Oh, yeah. It's like the civil rights movement of the 60s was focused on black men versus mm-hmm. black women. And especially if you were a member of the LGBTQ plus community and black, it wasn't it was, about yeah, you. No, not at all. I- even modern day fe- feminism. That's why it's so important to be intersectional and not be a fucking turf. Right. So Stonewall incited a fervor in Sylvia to keep going, to keep fighting for the voices of marginalized, the marginalized within the gay rights space. She challenged the way predominantly white gay and lesbian community approached activism from a middle class perspective. Sylvia wanted their activism to be more progressive, to include in their fight the rights of transgender individuals, including people of color, the homeless and the incarcerated. She challenged multiple communities through her activism, also working with the port. Puerto Rican activist organization, the Young Lords, hoping that the Puerto Rican and Latinx communities would acknowledge the reality of gay and transgender people. And she also worked with the African-American youth, particularly the Black Panthers. So she's she's getting involved. I was going to say she's kind of dipping into everything. Yeah. Well, and it's so important because if your movement is leaving out a huge section of the community, well, it's not really doing that much good, no. especially considering who was at the Stonewall Inn. Poor, homeless, people of color, trans, yeah. you know, I mean, the the most marginalized, disenfranchised people in your community, you need to fucking fight for right. them because they fucking fought for five days. Yeah, there, there's a quote from uh, Sylvia later in her life that kind of brings that up so at different times in her life sylvia battled substance abuse and lived on the streets largely in the the gay homeless community at the christopher street docks Uh, her experiences made her more focused on advocacy for those who in her view mainstream society and the assimilated sectors of lesbian gay and bisexual and transgender communities were leaving behind for these reasons sylvia projected her voice to give her community power she fought for herself, but more, most importantly for the rights of people of color and low-income LGBT, back then, people. As someone who suffered from systemic poverty and racism, Sylvia used her voice for unity, sharing her stories, pain, and struggles to show her community that they are not alone. She amplified the voices of the most vulnerable members of the gay community, drag queens, homeless youth, gay inmates in prison and jail, and the transgendered people. As discussed, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia were friends and allies, and their discussions led to activism, and in the 1970s, they co-founded the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, also known as STAR, 
And they later um, also had a house that they called the Star House. I I just want to interject if that's okay. Yeah. So we're using the term transvestite, which I know is not appropriate in modern day but back then that was the term they i don't think transgender was a common term back then so we're not sylvia even referred to herself as a transvestite exactly yeah same with marcia sometimes so So, i just i just want to say we're not like just throwing that word around that is the that was the term of the time time. that they used yes so star offered services and advocacy for the homeless queer youth and fought for the sexual orientation, non-discriminate astronomy, <laughs> sexual orientation, non-discriminate discrimination act in New York. Um, that act prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and employment, housing, public accommodations, education, credit, and the exercise of civil rights. Stuff we shouldn't have to fight for, right? But we do. So as she continued on her uh, civil rights you know, stuff that she was doing. Her badassery. Um, yeah. She was banned from the New York's Gay and Lesbian Community Center. Oh, shit. After she destroyed a desk in the lobby, enraged because she felt the center did not address the needs of transgender homeless youth who slept in front of it. Um. Well, it kind of sounds like they fucking didn't. Right. <laughs> Sylvia tended to stand out wherever she went. She was magnetic, loud, and demanding. In the In the 1960s, uh, most gay organizations were made up of white middle-class gays in groups such as the GAA, which I mentioned. Historian and biographer Martin Duberman notes that the friction that Rivera's presence brought in the mainstream gay movement, quote, a Hispanic street queen's transgressive being produced automatic alarm. Sylvia was from the wrong ethnic group, from the wrong side of the tracks, wearing the wrong clothes, Managing single-handedly and simultaneously to embody several frightening overlapping categories of otherness. This is horrifying because she's even being rejected by her own community. Right. Yeah. Just because for racism, racism and being afraid of transgender people. Yep. That's awful. And she's fighting so hard for that. She them. really is. So while, while Sylvia had supported the passing of the, the gay rights bill in New York, which I mentioned, you know, barred discrimination basis on, based on sexual orientation. By the time, oh, she, she, she supported it because it originally included the support for the transgender community. But by the time it was passed in um, 1986, 17. Sorry. <laughs> she is getting really into it. And she's like smacking her phone against the glass. I'm sorry. Um, So by the time the bill was passed in 1986, which was 17 years after Stonewall, language denouncing gender discrimination had been removed. So, yeah. And this is a quote from Sylvia. Oh, no, this is from someone else. But, no, this is her. Sorry. Sylvia said. Sylvia said, quote, they have a little backroom deal without inviting Miss Sylvia and some of the other trans activists. The deal was, you take them out, we'll pass the bill, end quote. I was going to say when you're using entire groups of people as this like compromise. Yeah. So basically like, oh, take out the, tra- the trans people and we'll pass the bill. Did you ever, have you ever listened to Hamilton? Yeah. I know I talk about Hamilton constantly. Yes. I have and it's to not it. appropriate because this is a women's history podcast. But there is a song that didn't make it into the show where it's basically it's a debate between Hamilton and some other members of Congress yeah. about whether or not to free the slaves. Oh. And 
it's basically they were like, well, we're going to piss off the South if we free the slaves. The country's too young. It's too new. We can't afford splitting everything up this early on. Hopefully the next generations will have a better solution. And so the fact that they like made this gross compromise on hundreds of thousands of people's lives and in, in the future of our country, oh, yeah. because we are still feeling the ripple effects of that, oh yeah, is just mind blowing. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yep, they're just like, oh, we can take out this one group, but it's like, you know how bad that makes it because trans people are still having problems fighting for their rights. Oh yeah, no, it's like, um, I think the average lifespan or life expectancy is like twenty four or twenty five wow. because there is so much violence. And actually, um, I don't have their names written down, but just in the past few months, there were three trans women of color yep. murdered in this country. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. One of them had just recently been the victim of a of a hate crime assault. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's terrible. And this is part of it. This is fucking part of it. Yep. So af- after... Um, when, she, when that passed, she felt the community she and her trans siblings had fought for all these years at Stonewall and beyond been arrested for and beaten for, had sold them up the river. When she discovered this, Sylvia's response was, quote, hell hath no fury like a drag queen scorned. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is amazing. I know. I'm like, I could totally see her. Like, when you see pictures of her, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see her saying that. She is fucking fierce. I know. I love her. So when that happened, she stopped working with the GLF and GAA. Like, the great, you know. Understandable. And she kind of stopped being a part of the gay rights movement in general for three or four years because the organizations began to publicly denounce and ignore her. Yeah, that's heartbroken. I heartbreaking. I didn't expect the the gay civil rights groups to be the enemies in this story. She would return some 20 years later for the 25th anniversary of Stonewall, asked to participate by the Pride Parade's organizing body. Quote, The movement had put me on the shelf, but they took me down and dusted me off. Still, it was beautiful. I walked down 58th Street and the the young ones were calling from the sidewalk. Sylvia, Sylvia, thank you. We know what you did. Oh, my God. And and that after that, I went back on the shelf. It would be wonderful if the movement took care of its own. So, like, she's like, yeah, this was a wonderful moment, but it sucks that they only used me when they needed me. It was kind of more of an ornamental thing versus inviting her back to the movement oh my god i know it's a little sad it's super sad (laughs) yeah so in 1973 at the christopher street liberation day rally in new york city sylvia representing star gave a brief speech from the main stage in which she called out the heterosexual males who were preying on vulnerable members of the community Sylvia espoused what could be seen as a third gender perspective, saying the LGBT prisoners seeking help did not write women, they do not write men, they write to star. At the same event, she got on stage and missed booze from the crowd and said, quote, I had to fight my way up to up to this stage. People that I called my comrades in the movement literally beat the shit out of me. This speech, which I have more from, is is called um her y'all better quiet down speech because that's what she said when she got on stage. Y'all better quiet down because I'm about to drop yeah. some ugly truths on you. Yep. So the more more of the speech, not all of it, is quote: "You go to bars because of what drag queens did for you, and these bitches tell us to be quiet, being ourselves. 
You all tell me go and hide my tail between my legs. I will no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you? Think about that. End quote. After the rally, uh, Sylvia broke down, disbanded Star, and left activism for two decades. Sadly, she still continued to struggle with homelessness and drug addiction, but her impact was not in vain, and her lifelong activism ensured that the T would be placed in the LGBTQ rights movement. Oh, Sylvia. I know. In early July 1992, sorry, I'm going to talk about how your person died. Oh, okay. <laughs> spoilers! Um, shortly after the New York City Pride March, uh, Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River off the West Village piers. Police promptly ruled her death a suicide, despite the presence of a head wound. Marsha's friends and supporters, Sylvia included, insisted Johnson had not been suicidal and people's posturing campaign later declared that Johnson had, had earlier been harassed near the spot where her body was found. In May 1995, Sylvia tried to commit suicide by also walking into the Hudson River. Oh, no. She was not successful, and that year she also appeared in the Arthur Dong documentary episode <laughs> Outrage 69, part of the PBS series on the question of equality and gave an extensive interview to gay journalist Randy Wicker in which she discussed her su- her suicide attempts, Marsha's life and death, and her advocacy for poor and working class gays and the homeless and the AIDS crisis. In the last five years of her life, Sylvia renewed her political activity, giving many s- speeches about the Stonewall Uprising and the necessity for transgender people, including drag queens and butch dykes. To f- I'm sorry, like that's so not politically correct anymore. That but was, that's how it was back that then. That was how they were referring to it, yeah. Um, to fight for their legacy at the forefront of the LGBT movement, she traveled to Italy for the Millennium March in 2000, where she, acclaim- where she was acclaimed as the... Ha- Why do I keep wanting to say hashtag? Um, <laughs> quote, mother of all gay people. You're quote. such a, like, millennial. Yeah, apparently. It's funny, because I, like, never use hashtag. Hashtag gay rights, hashtag blessed. Yeah, right. In early 2001, after a service at the Metropolitan Community Church of New York, referring to the Star of Bethlehem announcing the birth of Jesus, she decided to resurrect Star as an active political organization, now changing transvestite to the more recently coined term transgender. There we go. Which at the time was understood to include all gender nonconforming people. I love that. Star fought for for the New York City Transgender Rights Bill, and for a trans-inclusive New York State Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act. Star also sponsored street pressures from ju- for justice for Amanda Millen, a transgender woman who was murdered in 2000. Oh, Jesus. Sylvia attacked human rights campaigns and Empire State Pride Agenda as organizations that were standing in the way of transgender rights. On her deathbed, she met with Matt Foreman and Joe Grabars of ESPA to negotiate transgender inclusion in its political structure and agenda so she is on her deathbed and she's like if you fucking leave us out i will haunt you forever right sylvia was angered by her perception that the significance of drag queens and drag culture was being minimalized by the austin ostensibly ostensibly thank you ostensibly (laughs) it's the wine assimilationist gay rights agenda particularly by new would-be non-sexy finger quotes, gay <laughs> leaders who were focusing on mili- military service, you know, don't ask, don't tell, and marriage equality. Sylvia's conflicts with these new LGBT groups were em- 
emblematic of the mainstream LGBT movement's strained relationship to the radical politicals of many of the early gay liberation activists. After Sylvia's death, Michael Bronski recalled her anger when she felt that she was being marginalized within the community. Because it's been going on for fucking ever. I'd be pissed too. Right? Some people felt that one of her main goals was to destroy the human rights campaign. Oh no, this is something she said before she died. One of our main goals now is to destroy the human rights campaign because I'm tired of sitting on the back of the bumper. It's not even the back of the bus anymore. It's the back of the bumper. The bitch on wheels is back. <laughs> so that's that's what she said about how she felt about the current like gay community and how they were dealing with their marginalized people. Yeah, because they're not addressing the most vulnerable members of their community. Exactly. Which is a problem. Yeah, it definitely is. Especially... Ooh, sorry about that. <laughs> the table is pissed. Um, no, that was my phone. Oh, your phone is pissed. Um, especially in a community that already has problems, like being seen, you know, like to marginalize part of it is a huge thing. Oh, absolutely. Sylvia's struggles did not relate exclusively to gay and trans people as they intersected with issues of poverty and discrimination faced by people of color in general. This caused friction in the GAA as it was mainly made up of white middle-class gays, as I said before. Another transgender person of color, um, who was an activist and scholar, Jesse Gann, discussed how mainstream LGBT groups have routinely dismissed and not paid sufficient attention to Sylvia's Latina identity, while Puerto Rican and Latino groups have often not fully acknowledged Sylvia's contributions to their struggles for civil rights. Tim Retzolf has discussed this issue with respect to the omission of discussions about race and ethnicity in the U.S. LG, LBG, LGBT history, particularly with, with regards to Sylvia's legacy. So Sylvia died during the dawn hours on February 19th, 2002 at St. Vincent's Hospital of Complications from Liver Cancer. Oh, no. Activist Ricky Wilchins noted, quote, in many ways, Sylvia was the Rosa Parks of the modern transgender movement, a term that was not even coined until two decades after Stonewall, end quote. You know what's interesting about that is that Rosa Parks was not the first person to refuse to give up her seat on the bus. I'm not trying no, to diminish yeah. her, but she was chosen by the civil rights movement to be their kind of yep. spokesperson for that issue. And the idea of Sylvia Rivera being the Rosa Parks of her movement, no one fucking wanted her. Right. No one wanted her around. No one wanted to listen to her issues no. because she was a woman of color and she was poor. Yep. And transgender. Which and was transgender. Not, you know, they were kind of like, no, you're, you're too different. Exactly. They're like, well, uh, let's just focus on like us yeah. and then we'll get to you and yeah. we'll bargain with your life yeah. in legislation. It's terrible. So I wrote tributes, but it should have been legacy because that's kind of our thing. Um, so there are street signs in New York's Greenwich City named in Sylvia's honor. One of the activists said, quote, we have to be visible. We should not be ashamed of who we are. We have to show the world that we are numerous and there are many of us out there. End quote. Okay. So named in her honor and established in 2002, the year she died, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project is dedicated to quote, to guarantee that all people are free to self-determine gender identity and expression, regardless of income or race and without facing harassment, discrimination, or violence, end quote. 
So that's pretty, pretty nice. awesome that they, I'm, that they I'm have that. I'm guessing it's a law firm that maybe helps people like yeah. if they do get in trouble. I'm glad they're acknowledging her too. And it's like, this is what you fought for this whole time. We're going to pick up the torch and continue carrying right. it for you. It's beautiful. In January 2007, a new musical based upon Sylvia's life called Sylvia So Far premiered in New York at La Mama in production starring Bianca Leigh as Sylvia and Peter Proctor as Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, my God. I want to see that. I know. I wonder if it's still around or like you can find a tape of it. I want to see if the soundtrack is on Spotify. Right. We might have to see. The spring 2007 issue of Centro, which is a journal of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies, um, was dedicated to Puerto Rican queer sexualities and published by Hunter College, which included a special dossier on Sylvia Rivera, including a transcription of a talk by uh, Sylvia in 2001, as well as two academic essays exploring the intersections of Sylvia's trans and Latina identities. Good. Yeah. Um, in 2014, the Social Justice Hub at the New York School's newly opened University Center was, name, was named the Baldwin... Riv- Baldwin Riviera Boggs Center after activists James Baldwin, Sylvia Rivera, and Grace Lee Boggs. Nice. In 2015, a portrait of Sylvia Rivera was added to the National Portrait Gallery. Fucking good. Um, In 2016, she was inducted into the Legacy Walk. What's the Legacy Walk? I don't know. I didn't look that up. (laughs) If you know what the Legacy Walk is, please email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Um, there was also a short film called Happy Birthday, Marsha, about Sylvia Rivera and Marsha Johnson, set in the hours before the Stonewall riots. Oh, Yeah. So I, I did a little extra part on just her, how she felt about her gender identity. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to do now is my last little chunk. Bring it on. So... Sylvia's gender identity was a co- was complex and varied throughout her life. In her essay Transvestites, your half sisters and your and half brothers of your of the revolution, she specifically claims her use of the word transvestite as only applying to the gay community. Quote, transvestites are homosexual men and women who dress in the clothes of the opposite sex. End quote. In interviews and writings in her later years, most notably in her 1995 interview with Randy Wicker, in her 2002 essay, Queens in Exile, The Forgotten Ones. I want to read that. Yeah. She expressed a fluid take on gender, referring to herself alternative, alternatively as a gay man, a gay girl, a drag, a drag queen slash street queen, and again as a gay man. Embodying all of those experiences and seeing none of these identities as, as excluding to the others. Okay. So she kind of just saw, saw herself as all of them at once. Right. She writes of having considered gender reassignment surgery earlier in life, but of ultimately choosing to reject it, only taking hormones near the end of her life. Okay. This is a direct quote from her. I left home at the age of 10 in 1961. I hustled on 42nd Street. The early 60s was not a good time for drag queens, effeminate boys, or boys that wore makeup like we did. Back then, we were beat up by the police and by everybody. I didn't really come out as a drag queen until the late 60s, when drag queens were arrested, what degradation there was. I remember the first time I got arrested, I wasn't even in full drag. I was walking down the street, and the cops just snatched me up. People now want to call me a lesbian because I'm with Julia, and I say, no, I'm just me. I'm not a lesbian. I'm tired of being labeled. I don't even like the label transgender. I'm tired of living with labels. I just want to be who I am. I am Sylvia Rivera. Ray Rivera left home at the age of 10 to become Sylvia, and that's who I am. 
I love that. Because for some people, having a label is very comforting. You know, it's like you have a name for how you feel. But other people, the label is just not for them. And those are completely valid. And you don't have to fit squarely into a single label. You know, it's not like, oh, well, I'm pan. And so immediately... Everyone knows how I feel about everything at all times because right? I so fit in this little box. Yeah, exactly. And she's just, I just want the freedom to fucking exist and do what I want and not have people question my identity right. or criminalize me for it or abuse me for it. Right. She's like, she's I like, just want to live. Yeah, I don't need the label. I am my name. Like, I'm Sylvia Rivera. That's all you need to know. Yeah. And that's all we do need to know. Yeah. That was so really I, beautiful. I thought, yeah, I wanted to end on that quote because even though it's a longer, even though it's a longer one, like I really enjoy that quote a lot. That was really beautiful. So I wish. I mean, you already kind of gave away the ending yeah, to my lady. <laughs> I mean, this was in the '60s. I would be really surprised if they weren't already. No, for sure. But uh, so I had texted Kelly when I was finishing the research on Marsha P. Johnson, and I was just like, "This is fucking hard," it because is. It was real hard. Like, the stories of women we cover are usually rough, you know? Yeah. They don't always have a happy ending. But there was just an extra layer of pain to reading these stories. And we are doing our best to do them justice. And we're trying to keep it light. We're trying to have fun here. But it's it's hard. Because, like, I'm I'm hearing about Sylvia and I'm just like, can everyone just get their heads out of their asses for two goddamn minutes i know right like figure how much like figure how much could have been done if they would have just included her and let her like help them she was so active she was so vivacious she was there to do the work and and they just wouldn't let her yeah that they basically drove her from activism for 20 years and just because they were so against her like that's oh she's already being victimized by people outside of the community and then people within the community who are supposed to be her fucking allies yeah also tell her to go fuck off yeah that's terrible all right so i am going to cover marsha p johnson a transgender woman and lgbtq plus activist also sylvia rivera's bestie woo 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 by the way, we didn't plan to do these women. We did when we found out who we were doing. We did plan to do them for the same episode, yeah. but it was a complete coincidence that, we that Kelly two women. was going to cover Sylvia and I was going to cover Marsha. Yeah. So again, reaching through time. Yep. <laughs> okay. When we think of civil movements, there are certain names that rise to the top. Martin Luther King Jr., Susan B. Anthony, Nelson Mandela. But as we've mentioned before, civil rights movements rely on the actions of many. Most of these people will never be named or have their stories told. And that's what we're going to try to do today. Marsha was born on August 24, 1945, in Elizabeth, New Jersey. She was one of seven children born to her working-class parents, Malcolm and Alberta. As a child, Marsha attended an African-American Methodist Episcopal Church and was a devout Christian throughout her life. By the time she was five, Marsha began wearing dresses. So very early on, she knew who she was and what she wanted to do. And what she wanted to be, yep. Right. Naturally, she was teased and harassed by neighborhood boys, causing her to dress as a boy again. Marsha was also sexually assaulted as a young child by a 13-year-old boy. 
And like we were talking about with Sylvia, this story, if you had told me this happened in 2019, you can still see it. It's this is not a unique story, no. and that is tragic. As if growing up trans in the 40s and 50s wasn't hard enough, Marsha's own mother told her that to be a homosexual was to be, quote, lower than a dog. Wow. So, all sides. Yeah. Starting off just, real yeah, just fun. Just like Sylvia. Just all sides. <laughs> Once Marsha graduated from high school in 1963, she got the fuck out. With nothing but 15 bucks and a bag of clothes, Marsha eventually found her way to Greenwich Village, New York, where she worked waiting tables. So what was the landscape in New York like for members of the LGBTQ plus community? Well, even though in 1950, New York downgraded sodomy from a felony to a misdemeanor, progress question mark? Yeah. Rampant criminalization of the L- of LGBTQ people was common. They weren't allowed to dance in public. Bars were wait, banned wait, from... Wait, They weren't allowed to dance in public? Oh, no. Like, but if you're straight, you can dance in public? Like, how are they going to know? I get into that a little okay. bit. I'm like, that's because bullshit. They had ways of profiling people, and it's that's terrible. Gross. I'm not, sure. That's not a question mark, but just like it's so weird how they were trying to profile people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot, a lot of people, they kind of ran in the same crowds because you couldn't be, you know, even if you were really well off, you couldn't be openly gay around your straight friends. Right? Unless You'd probably you lose your job. Exactly. That's just interesting. Sorry. Yeah. I interrupted. But oh, yeah, was, no. Like, dancing? The dumbest fucking shit. Glitter was banned, too, and it was, it was disgusting. Okay, so they weren't allowed to dance in public. Bars were banned from serving them. And cross-dressing, which was considered sexual deviancy, yep. was illegal. Yeah. This shit is bleak. Yeah. Says a woman wearing pants and committing sexual deviancy. <laughs> right? <laughs> When she first arrived in New York, Marsha alternated between using her birth name and going as Black Marsha. Marsha was black. Yeah. <laughs> I should have mentioned that before. She worked as a sex worker and was arrested frequently, later saying she stopped counting after her hundredth arrest. Wow. She was living in a high-risk environment working in seedy hotels and was even shot. Super Jesus, fun. yeah. Uh, she would frequently sleep under tables in the Flower District of Manhattan. Marsha later changed her name to Marsha P. Johnson, saying the P stood for pay it no mind. This was like her catchphrase. So when people That's would question cute. her about her gender, she would say pay it no mind. That's or if, awesome. Right? Or if she, if people ask, like, what was the P stand for? Which I've never had anyone ask me what my middle initial stands no. for. But she'd be like, pay it no mind. Which I love because it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Like, mind your own damn business. One time she actually used the phrase on a judge who thought it was so funny he released her. That's amazing. (laughs) Marsha also performed as a drag queen. Because she couldn't afford to purchase clothing and accessories, Marsha got creative. Remember the table she was sleeping under in the flower district? Those tables were used for sorting flowers, and she would decorate her hair with the extra – uh, which became a part of her signature look. So if you see pictures, whether she has a wig or not, she's almost always got like flowers in her yeah, hair. I'll try to find one that shows that real well. Marsha would also dress in flowing robes, shiny dresses, and red plastic high heels. That sounds awesome. I can feel the fucking blisters, though. Oh, yeah. That sounds... I can guarantee... Especially if you're standing... Like, if you're a street worker and you're standing on a corner, 
Huh. Oh, yeah. Or even just performing. Really doing any... I don't, I'm not a heel person. Like, no. <laughs> unless they're like the big big heels that are like only like an inch or two tall. Yep. Um, but no, yeah, I'm not a heel person. But so she would also wear bright wigs because she was born to stand out. Yeah, I can see why the, the two were friends. Oh, God. They were, they were born for each other. She performed uh, with a few different drag groups throughout her life, including Hot Peaches and the Angels of Light. Ooh. In 1975, Marsha was photographed by Andy Warhol. What? Wait, really? That's, yeah. That's cool. It was a part of his Ladies and Gentlemen Polaroid series. Huh. And the pictures of her are so cool because there's this one where she's like looking up very angelic and she's kind of got her hands under her chin. And it's like the perfect kind of 50s feel all-American yeah. gal pose. And it's just, it's Marsha P. Johnson. And she looks I'll, so I'll, cute. I'll try to find that one to put on the blog. She's almost got like this blonde kind of beehive okay. wig on. I You can find it really I'm easily. Sure. It's I'll super cute. I'll just search Marsha P. Johnson, Andy Warhol, and I'm sure it'll be the first thing. That's what I did. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Later in her life, Marsha even performed in London. Ooh. Okay, now I'm getting to the Stonewall Uprising. So I know you referred to it as the Stonewall Riot. I think I referred to it as both because I know later in my notes it said Uprising, but yep. initially it said Riot. So the event is known by both, yeah. but I personally like the term Uprising more because right. it, it connoted that like this was a response to rampant brutality and victimization. Well, it was and like... They, and they won. It wasn't just yeah. like... It wasn't just like they rioted, like, at, you know, you hear people riot after their team loses a football game. It wasn't that. <laughs> like, no, these people got shit done. Yeah. and Yeah, because I, I was like, I don't want, like, I think Riot and I think that. I was yeah. like, oh, your team lost uh, cars <coughs> Eagles fucking Philadelphia. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Sorry, if you listen to Philadelphia, we love you, but come on. And so the uprising, I felt like, yeah, told a better a, it's a, story. It's a stronger word. Exactly. Okay. Now let's paint a picture. Just let's see it in your mind's eye. Close your eyes. Listen to Emily's voice. I'm going to put on my sexy NPR voice. Hello. I'll, I'll try not to talk. <laughs> okay. As we mentioned, being a member of the LGBTQ plus community was criminalized and the police arbitrarily exerted their power against them. It was common practice for cops to raid known gay bars to arrest and harass patrons. The Stonewall Inn was one such place. Owned by the mafia, it was a haven for the most marginalized people in society, including sex workers, homeless youth, and members of the LGBTQ plus community. It was the only gay bar in New York City where dancing was allowed. Ooh. They actually had two dance floors. That's awesome. Yeah. No wonder that was like the place to be. To protect the Stonewall Inn against Lily Law, Alice Blue Gown, and Betty Badge, which were fun nicknames for undercover cops. That's fantastic. I love it. Like, I like That's very creative. Next time I, I see a cop, like I'm going to go, oh, there goes Lily Law. Yeah, right. <laughs> Betty Badge. Um, so patrons were greeted by a bouncer who inspected them through a peephole to see if they recognized them or if the patron, quote unquote, looked gay. Staff would also stow away extra liquor behind secret panels so they could get back and up and running quickly after a raid. The Stonewall Inn also bribed the cops to tip them off if there was going to be a raid because they're the mafia. Right. They're like, hey, this let us what know they do. so we can like store our liquor so we don't get like fucked over. Exactly. 
When raids did occur, the police would line up patrons and inspect their IDs. Anyone without an ID, dressed in drag, women not wearing three pieces of feminine clothing, or anyone they fucking felt like would be arrested. And this is what I was talking about before, the weird, like, profiling. I'm like, well, what constitutes feminine clothing? Because they were profiling butch lesbians. Yep. Female police officers would also take the patrons dressed as women to the bathroom and verify their gender. Super fucking gross. Yeah. Which makes me think they were having people strip in front of the cops. Like they're oh, yeah. going or to the bathroom like, and like up their skirts or Do you, you have know. a penis? Show me your penis. Like uh, yeah. It's disgusting. Well, I find it interesting that they were only making the women do that. Like you know, so like if you look enough like a guy, you're well, fine. Yeah, because they were they were trying to catch like drag queens. I know, but you can drag queen the other way. You could be a you know, you can dress as a man. Well, then you'd get caught for being too butch. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. But I'm just saying, like, if you look enough like a man that they can't tell you're a woman, you're fine. <laughs> Apparently. You and, to, and you don't have to go strip in a bathroom is what I'm saying. Well, and maybe they did. But that was the instance I read about where they would they would force people Ugh. who were dressed as women to, like, like that's, prove their It's kind their of like how they wanted genitals. to, like, segregate bathrooms when they were like, oh, depending on what you have, that's the bathroom you have to go in. It's like, that doesn't work that way. You know, you know what? There was this one time this creepy guy was following me in a bar. So I ducked into the women's bathroom because everyone knows creepy guys can't go into women's bathrooms. It's like putting a blanket over you and the monsters can't get you. Yeah. It's foolproof. It's the dumbest fucking shit. Well, it's like when that was happening, I saw like a video of like they brought someone. They they made sure the bathrooms were empty, but it was a girl and her best friend who was a trans man, but still had his woman parts. Okay. So according to that law, he would have to go in the women's bathroom. So he, she, like, filmed him coming out of the stall, and he looks like a big, burly man. And she's like, you know, would you be comfortable with him in the women's bathroom? Because with this law, he would have to use the women's bathroom. And I can guarantee you, you wouldn't be comfortable with it because he looks like a, or, you know, he looks yeah. like a man. Like, Well, and what sucks about it is you're kind of automatically outing yourself as transgender. Because yeah. if you see someone who looks like a man coming out of the women's bathroom... You know, okay, they're either in the wrong bathroom or they're transgender, which opens them up to victimization, especially if you are a woman, if you're a trans woman coming out of the men's bathroom. All right, you come out of a stall and you, you know, maybe you've already had like the the boob replacement or boob implants and stuff and so you everything looks female. Even if you're that's just going to be terrible. Even if you're just in a dress. Feminine. Yeah. It doesn't it no, doesn't matter, that would but be so bad. I can think of so many bars where that would just end so terribly trans people are already subjected to so much violence and they're so vulnerable against violence so why would you fucking make it worse oh because you don't care about trans people yeah. and you don't care about women didn't pass and was bullshit good because here's the thing don't pretend like you care about women and you care about protecting someone like me when rapists are still getting off with probation yeah it's bullshit For adm- and they've admitted yeah, they'll admit it yeah they'll be like yeah i did it well, I mean, he's just such a good swimmer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting he just, like... He just has such a promising career ahead of him. I'm real punchy about this. 
Okay. So at 1.20 a.m. on June 28, 1969, nine police officers approached the Stonewall Inn and shouted, Police! We're taking the place! Super formal. There were two undercover cops. still did that. (laughs) We're taking the place! (laughs) I'm putting your ass under arrest! Boom! (laughs) They carry little little mics and they just drop them. drop them. Um, There were two undercover cops already in the bar gathering evidence, and when they gave the signal, backup came. People tried to escape, but the police had barred the exits. Oh, that's kind of terrible. What if something went horribly, horribly wrong? Well, first of all, this bar was not a fucking safe place already. Right. But, yeah, I mean, this is all very tactic. Or tactical? Yeah. Tactical. Tactical. Uh, this raid was different. The police were there to shut down the bar for good. Historian David Carter argues that the reason for this was because the police couldn't get kickbacks from the bar for looking the other way when it came to the bar's shady activity and owners, because remember, they're fucking mobsters. Instead, the owners would often blackmail their wealthier patrons who wanted to keep their sexual identities a secret. This was a lot of, like, gay men working in the financial yeah. district. Because, again... This is the only place that they can be open about their identity and orientation. And they can dance. And they can dance. Stuck on the dancing over here. Dudes just want to dance, man. This made them more money than the liquor sales did. Uh, Me and the cops got fewer kickbacks. Carter argues that since there was no more or less in financial benefit, the cops decided to shut down the Stonewall Inn for good. Might as well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, this isn't benefiting us, so fuck you guys. And here's... Another thing, this is a haven for these people, and they're still being taken advantage of by the people who own the bar. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, During the raid, some of the officers began sexually assaulting the women while frisking them. Oh, my God. This is gross. It's only going to get worse. I know. Some people were released by the police, but instead of getting the fuck out, they stood outside and a crowd began to form. Between 100 and 150 people gathered, and some began to taunt the cops by performing or saluting them sarcastically. As the cops began loading people into patrol wagons, there were shouts from the crowd of gay power and others saying, we shall overcome. Tensions mounted between the police officers and the growing crowd and finally exploded when a woman being arrested tried to escape and was beaten with a baton. Some allege this was Stormy DeLarveri, including Stormy herself. Uh, Stormy was a lesbian who frequented the Stonewall Inn and a gay rights activist. She recalls she shouted at the crowd, why don't you guys do something? Like, I'm getting beat. I'm getting the shit beat out of me. There's like a hundred some of you fuckers. Help. Finally, things boiled over and the police's attempts to control the crowd only antagonized them more. The police retreated inside the bar, completely overwhelmed by the crowd. In response, the crowd tried to bust into the bar and set it on fire. The officers managed to escape and the fire was extinguished. Uh, The crowd eventually grew into the thousands and the uprising lasted until July 1st. All of the abuse, harassment, and dehumanization boiled over, and the crowd would not be silenced. The Stonewall Uprising was not the beginning of the gay rights movement, but it was certainly a watershed moment that resulted in mass awareness across the country and encouraged members of the LBGTQ plus community to mobilize. It sparked the birth 
of the Gay Liberation Front, the first group to publicly advocate for gay rights. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a huge turning point. 1969. And we have the first civil rights group dedicated to gay rights. Yep. That is way too long. Oh, yeah. The Stonewall Uprising also gave birth to the first Pride Parade, which was held on the one-year anniversary. So that's just kind of about the Stonewall Uprising a little bit. I didn't know. I went semi into it, but you went way more in depth. So it's good. Well, because I I didn't know. And I was like, I can always just skip Skip this part part if I need to. So there were a lot of legends surrounding the Stonewall Uprising and Marcia's part in it. Some say she threw a brick at a cop. Others say she threw a shot glass into the burning bar, shouting, I got my civil rights. I found articles that said she was celebrating her birthday at the bar when it was raided. And others said that she joined the crowd after the rioting broke out. So it's very similar similar to Sylvia's. Like some people say something, some people say other. Yeah. And Marsha straight up denies that she threw the first brick because yeah. sometimes and she's I mean, credited for Sylvia that too. That. She's like, no, I didn't throw the first one. I threw the second. <laughs> I love that. I was just on the backswing. <laughs> I was ready. We know that she was there and was an active participant, however. Many reported that on the second night, Marsha climbed up a lamppost and dropped a brick on a police car, shattering the windshield. That's awesome. I love that. After the Stonewall Uprising, Marsha teamed up with her friend and fellow Uprising participant, Sylvia Rivera, best friends for life. High fives. Uh, Together, they founded the organization Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, a group dedicated to helping homeless youth and trans women of color. And some of this, Kelly has probably already touched on, but if I don't stick to my notes, I will lose my place. She doesn't remember my story. It's fine. (laughs) I wasn't listening. I was just nodding and smiling the whole time. She's just secretly like, okay, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? It's like we talked about last time. Kelly and I actually have a very toxic relationship. And we just play nice for the podcast. Yep. <laughs> Marsha was also a member of the Gay Liberation Front and attended the first Pride Parade. In 1970, Marsha and fellow Gay Liberation Front members staged a sit-in at the New York University after the school canceled the dance that was sponsored by gay rights organizations. Wow. Marsha and Sylvia were notable presences at gay rights events. Unfortunately, just as today, there was discrimination within the LGBTQIA community, and Marsha and Sylvia felt the impact of that when they were banned from the 1973 Pride Parade. Wow. The gay and lesbian community putting the event on weren't going to allow drag queens to march because, again, they just didn't feel like it was a good image for the movement that's terrible fuck you marcia and sylvia responded like fucking queens by marching in front of the fucking parade which is the level of defiance and saltiness i aspire to be yeah right they're like like, fine i won't be in your parade i'll be ahead of it 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 reminds me of like little kids like i'm not touching you i'm not touching you i'm just waving my finger in front of your fucking face right oh we're not marching in the parade we are before the parade The march produced one of the best-known photos of these powerful besties, which we yeah, will I've put on it's, it's the blog. When Marsha and Sylvia established the Star House, a shelter for gay and trans youth, a shelter that they paid for with money they made as sex workers, yep. Marsha became known as the drag mother. So basically, she became like the mother figure for all of these kids who didn't otherwise have support. Yeah, it, was, families. it was like a house mother. Like, you know, sometimes you get that in like... um like foster homes and stuff. 
Yeah, and there's this there's this tradition in the LGBTQ plus community of making your own families because yeah. sometimes you can't you depend on well, your like, blood like family. Like in Sylvia's story, like when she had her naming ceremony, right? Like she had you know a group that came like and that I imagine you know, that like her, her birth or her baptism almost. Yeah, which and this is so cool how they're. Like these women don't have anything, right? But they are—they're are, they're using what they have to help yeah. people that are going through what they went through, and they're engaging in really dangerous work, especially as trans women of color, just to provide help for these disenfranchised kids. Yeah, it's beautiful. But no, like let's just kick them out of the uh, gay rights movement. Whatever. Right. Um, the shelter provided clothes, food, and support the to the youths it housed. Marsha continued her activism throughout her life, becoming an organizer and marshal at, with ACT UP, an AIDS advocacy group. Though Marsha was an avid activist, she was still struggling just to live. She suffered her first mental breakdown in 1970 when she walked up and down Christopher Street, the same street the Stonewall Inn was on, naked. She would sometimes lash out and become aggressive. She called this side of her Malcolm, which was her birth name. And I tried not to use that name in the story because I didn't want to get into dead name territory, but yeah. that she called this side of her yep. Malcolm. And uh, when she slipped into this persona, she would act masculine and aggressive. Yeah, and the reason I included Sylvia's birth name is because, like that quote at the end, she says, no, I was this person, but when I left home at 10, that person exactly there. And I read that some people thought that this was like a form of schizophrenia. It definitely could be. Um, she struggled her whole life with homelessness, engaging in survival sex, and mental illness. As a marginalized person, she didn't receive much help. In 1992, shortly after the Pride Parade, Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River. While the police originally ruled it as a suicide, as Kelly mentioned, her friends insisted that she was not suicidal and noted the fact that she had a massive head wound on the back of her head. Yeah, that's... That's not super sketchy at all. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, head wounds, they just spontaneously happen sometimes. Yeah, don't you always have a head wound? Maybe when she was in the middle of jumping into the river, an owl came and just slashed her in the back yep. of the head. That's, that was exactly it. <laughs> have you seen the staircase? Yeah. The fucking owl? Yeah. Oh, that's, we're not a true crime podcast. <laughs> we're not going to get into that, but it's just dumb, yeah. dumb shit. Sylvia was one of the people who argued against the suicide ruling saying that she and Marsha had made a pact to cross the river Jordan, AKA the Hudson river together. Oh, that's sad. And like lovely and so many emotions. I know. No, they were ride or die. Yeah. They were best friends. And They're like, if we're going to go out, we're going out together. Yeah. I mean, we're going to stick together until the bitter end. Witnesses came forward and reported that they had seen Marsha being harassed by thugs and using, uh, who were using homophobic slurs. There was also reports of a man who bragged at bars that he had killed a drag queen named Marsha. But it was totally a suicide. It was a, it was a different Marsha. You know, they're all Dif over. There's like 80 different drag queens named Marsha. Come on. That, like, which know, one? Died recently. That we found with head wounds floating in the river. Ugh. Despite all of this, the police refused to look further into the case because it involved, quote, a gay black man and to purposely misgender someone especially after they've died is just fucking repulsive That's and it terrible. still happens today yeah and i was telling you when i was doing my research i found an article by uh, laverne cox 
or maybe it was a series of tweets and the article was about that. But basically she was talking about um, how trans people a lot of times after they die, especially in these like violent, horrible ways, are misgendered, they're dead named, and it's just a complete erasure of their identity when they are in the position where they cannot fight back. And it's like I understand if it happens like once and it's truly like a mistake. Fine. But you better, as soon as you find out it's a mistake, be putting that little edit in there like, hey, I got this shit wrong. And then it better never fucking happen again. But yeah, these you know these people are doing it on purpose. Oh yeah, you know it's like one we don't care, are. and two we're gonna like twist the knife a little right. more. Because you got no police are just like, well, whatever. He had a penis. It's a guy. Oh yeah, we don't care whatever. about this person. We're not, we're not gonna and we're further. gonna be assholes. Uh, Marsha was cremated, and her ashes were spread out over the Hudson River. In November 2012, activist Maria Lopez got the NYPD to reopen the case as a potential homicide. Wow. Which is awesome, but it's been so long, yeah, it's hard to, to have find hope. anything. Right. I mean, they, they don't have DNA. They don't have witnesses. They don't have suspects no, because everybody's they dead. never looked into it. But the, the symbolism, at least, of them reopening the case yeah, and acknowledging, wonderful. hey, we might have fucked up. We definitely fucked up. <laughs> I don't know if they'd say it that way. They fucking better because they fucked up. Marsha is remembered as a vivacious activist who worked so hard and did so much with so little. And I didn't really include a legacy. I mean, there have been books and documentaries yeah. and plays and everything on her. But there is this one bit of the story I found that really uh, hit me right in the feels so hard. In 1992, when George Segal's Stonewall Memorial statues were moved from outside of the Stonewall Inn to a nearby park, and these two statues depicted two men standing and talking and then two women sitting and talking, and were titled Gay Liberation. Hmm. Um, So when these statues were moved from outside the Stonewall Inn to a local park, Marsha remarked, quote, how many people have died for these two little statues to be put in the park to recognize gay people? How many years does it take for people to see that we're all brothers and sisters and human beings in the human race? I mean, how many years does it take for people to see that we're all in this rat race together? And what's really remarkable about these statues is there's like a sense of intimacy and love between the figures, but they're not kissing. They're not really holding hands. It looks like just... Two, two sets of people talking. talking. And what's really beautiful about that is because it's just the freedom to exist. That is all Sylvia wanted. That's all Marsha wanted. That's all anyone wanted. And we are getting closer, but we are not there yet. And that no. is why it is so important to talk about these stories, even though it is really hard. Like yeah. I was, I finished my research. I started crying. I, know. Was, I really... was crying too. It was bad. But, but it's like they need... To be heard and, you know, people need to see them just like they need to see the people that are still alive and still struggling with this. Right. And when we see you and we love you, just be yourself. If you need to hear that, we fucking love you. I will call you and leave you a voicemail if you want me to do that. You don't even have to support us on Patreon. Just send us an email (laughs) and leave you a voicemail telling you that you are worth it and you are wonderful and just be who you are because we see you and we respect you. I love you, Kelly. Make Emily cry. You are. (laughs) This is really emotional. Something that's cool, though, is just recently, and I shared the article on our Facebook page, is there is a big mural in 
want to say Dallas. It's somewhere in Texas that depicts Sylvia Rivera and yep. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera next to her face. It's got this long quote about her about like, finally, this was the moment. This was the resistance and we weren't going to be silent. Yep. And then next to Marsha, it's just pay it no mind. <laughs> Which is awesome. I love it. All right. But yeah, that's uh, that's Marsha P. Johnson and her bestie, Sylvia Rivera. So Kelly, what are you thankful for today? (laughs) I am thankful. I think we need a pick me up. What little progress we have made on these issues, because even though it's taken forever, any progress is progress. And hopefully now, you know, as our generation becomes into power, essentially, you know, I think things are going to start changing a lot faster. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of movement in the next few years. And I think it's going to be for the positive. Right. I I agree. I, I get really excited about um, people in our age and even the people younger than us who are yeah. growing up in a much more tolerant world. And here's the thing. It is not fucking perfect. And no, especially depending on where be. you are, it can be really bad. But it is better than it was yesterday. And it's better than it was the day before. And it's and better than it was yeah, 10 years we're ago. we're just going to keep moving. We're going to keep marching forward. What are you thankful for? God, what am I thankful for? I mean, you kind of stole the show with that. Nothing I can say is going <laughs> to <gonna laughs> compare. I'm thankful for the support I have in my life. I'm thankful for uh, my dogs. I uh, I actually had the opportunity. I'm, I'm just going to go right into my own life here because Kelly said it all. But I recently got to take them to the dog park a couple of times this this last week and it was so nice because they're such good boys and they run and they have fun. She asked me both times and both times I was like, nah. You had you had your grandma first, yeah, over. First my grandma was over and then the next time I felt like I was dying so I took a nap. That's okay. It was funny because I actually ran into a friend of mine the first time and she's got, so I've got a chihuahua and a pit bull and she's got a chihuahua and I'm not saying our chihuahuas are in love but we might have a doggy wedding because it'd be really cute actually something that's really cool is um when i was at the dog park i met this older lady and she was a veteran from vietnam oh wow and uh kelly and i participate in the suicide awareness and prevention walk in town every year and i was wearing my shirt from that that says be the voice hashtag stop suicide hashtag it actually does say there we go (laughs) and she was like i really like your shirt it's nice that people wear that and we got into this conversation about how it was really hard when she came back her well, struggles, sure, especially since for Vietnam vets, they the turmoil that was going on in the country when they came back, they weren't thanked. People booed them. People were angry. They blamed a lot of the soldiers that came home for us being in the war, which is bullshit. Right. I'm like, they didn't. So they didn't buy get, their own plane yeah, tickets and go over. They didn't get like a big welcome home like a lot of soldiers soldiers get. They they got a lot of animosity when they came home, and that. It's hard enough when you're a soldier coming home and not knowing how to deal with, you know, readjusting to civilian life. But I can't even imagine what it would be like having those struggles and having people not want to deal with it because you fought in this war that they didn't want. Right. Even though you probably didn't want it either. Exactly. But it was, you know, we had this conversation. It was really nice. And something I think is so cool about veterans is they're always sharing resources of information for you with you the nicest people oh yeah and like she's telling me about um support groups at the local va which i had never heard of right i was like why haven't i gotten this information before like what's going on but um 
we record these episodes a week in advance. So this is Memorial Day weekend. So for me to run into a vet and have that connection, that conversation was really important to me. And that was really nice. So and her dog was super fucking cute. (laughs) Side note. All right. Next time you go, I'll come with. I I want you to. I know. I want. And I know the pugs would love it. Oh, yeah. And Charlie loves the pugs. Yeah. He thinks he's a pug. Yeah, he thinks he's a pug. Yep. Anyway, so that is it for our episode. Please hit us up on Instagram, WAHpod, and Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Check out our website, which is whiningaboutherstory.com, where we post blogs about our episodes. And currently, we're also doing a series on um, the dinner party, which is a series of um, women throughout history, um, some some fictional, some most not. Um, and those are I post those on Thursdays. I'm on the third wing, and that'll probably be a two-parter as well, like the wing two was, because there's a lot of ladies. Um, it's raining ladies. It's raining ladies. Um, it's raining ladies. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, we, should, we need to remake that song. Um, <laughs> and, you know, feel free to email us about anything at, you know, whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want to hear about the women in your life. We want to hear about the women you'd like us to cover. Heck, we want to hear about you. We want to hear about how amazing we are. <laughs> Kelly's giving me the shittiest look like, right all now. All the emails are going to be like, I love Emily's voice. And I'm going to be like, delete. I love your voice. I don't mind my voice. I was, you I was like the sexy podcast voice, which I haven't mastered yet. See, I don't feel like I have a sexy voice, though. And actually doing a podcast, I'll like hear when I'm talking what my voice actually sounds like I'm when I'm like having normal. normal voice. I'm saying like your intentional sexy podcast voice. That's because I worked at a call center for like two years. Yeah. And so no, like three years. Yeah. And I had to master the sexy voice because that's yeah, how you, you get were the money. out calling, not in like you weren't receiving calls. Oh, yeah. No, I was calling people asking for yeah. money. Hey, do you want to support sexy co-eds getting a fucking education? Give me your money, baby. I'm kidding. That's totally not what we said. It was oh, more God. like the, oh, hi there. I hope you're doing well. Is someone so available? Yeah, Minnesota in the accent. Yeah, which didn't work that well because I was uh, working in Minis- or Wisconsin. I mean, they have the accent too, kind of. I not just opened much. up every time. Hey, how's your beer and cheese doing? <laughs> Are you fair. sitting down to your beer and cheese? How's that going for you? <laughs> Man, them Packers. Oh, God. Them damn Packers. They're a, they're a something, eh? <laughs> Get a straight Canadian <laughs> oh, out. Okay. okay. We're, before we offend too many people. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.